earlier, we've been in the Psalms for a few weeks now, and hopefully that, that has helped shape us in prayer. Hopefully that has helped us have some tools. One of my favorite things in the Psalms is the series of complex emotions that is found. It is okay to be real with God. It is okay to have and display true emotions that draws us closer to him. We saw in one of my favorite psalms that David is telling his soul that he should worship the Lord. Even when his heart wasn't into it. Even when he wasn't feeling it. But he knew who God was. We saw his repentant heart in Psalm 51 that the sins that he has committed... And there was forgiveness there. That he wanted to be restored and renewed to a right relationship with his creator. We also saw the reality of joy that this expressed. Human emotion is complex. And the Bible does not shy away from the fact that we can be real and take our emotions to God in prayer. Our time in the psalm has wrapped up and we're back in the gospel of John and we will be in John 17. We have been slowly walking through the gospel of John. We started the gospel of John, we found its purpose statement. So I want to go back since it's been a few weeks. When we think of the gospel of John, when we're reading in John, when we're having these understanding, we have to filter it through what John's purpose was for writing. So what is the reason that the gospel of John can be written why was it written we see this in John 20 verses 30 and 31 it says now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book but these things are written so what was written the entirety of the gospel of John up until this point they're saying all these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and by believing you may have life in his name so why was John written that we would believe and know Jesus is who he says he is. So now I just want us to remember that as we are going into John 17 to understand that the purpose that John wrote this gospel is that God would be made much of. Jesus would be put on full display that we would understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and believing in him you may have life in his name. It's a beautiful thing. So in John 17, this is the biggest, longest prayer that has been recorded in the Bible by Jesus. And Jesus has spent the previous four chapters equipping his disciples for his departure. He's going to leave soon. He tells them not to have troubled hearts. He lets them know about the coming of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit will help guide them. It will convict them of sin. And draw them closer to the Father that reveals truths about Jesus. So we will know Jesus better because of the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us. We learn that Jesus is the true vine and that we need to rest in him if we ever want to bear fruit. Seminary does not get you to bear fruit. Doing service projects do not get you to bear fruit. Resting in Jesus Christ, the true vine, and we will bear fruit. Jesus is letting them know that this is not a series of do's and don'ts. That Jesus wants a close, intimate relationship. That he wants to be known and wants to draw his people close. 
Jesus ends this teaching with prayer. Notice how prayer should be a part of our lives. It isn't an add-on at the end. It's not just this, like, gunshot at the beginning of a race. It isn't just the start, but it is our lives. If we are to be like Jesus, and that is what sanctification is, right? Big theological word means to become more and more like Jesus. We need to talk like he talks. We need to act like he acts. We need to love like he loves. So let us learn something very simple from these short verses that we're going to go through, verses 1 through 5, that we need to be a prayerful people. And that's what we say, right? We're scripture-saturated and we're a prayerful people here at Salt and Light. And if the most perfect person prayed, how much more should we? We don't just open them up like a holy ATM and try to get some money out and like, yep, now we're good. He's not a genie that is a magic lamp. He is our Father, our King, our God, our Lord. So if Jesus prays, how much more should we? So we're going to be in the first five verses this morning. I'm going to start and we're going to go through it. Then Jesus had spoken in these words. And once again, what are these words? The previous chapter, starting with John 13, where he wiped his disciples' feet, leading up to that entire discourse. Right? So that's what he's talking about. So when Jesus spoke in these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom all you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the works that you have given me. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Notice, Jesus is not some mere prophet, moral teacher, or good guy, but was eternal with God. We see that in the last part. Verse 5, with the glory I had with you before the world existed. There will be two points today that we will dive into. We see Jesus is embracing the cross, and that enables a relationship. So Jesus embraces the cross, and Jesus enables the relationship. We must get this simple truth. There is a false gospel out there that in order to please God, you have to do good works. If you don't cuss or if you don't yell, if you just come to church, then you're a good person. If I do this list of good things, then I am a good person. And I can finally be in a relationship with God. This is not the gospel. This is not the good news. So for clarity, we are sinners, and sinning means missing the mark. And the mark is the standard that God has set out before us as humans. This is his world, so these are his rules. And because we are rule breakers, we deserve punishment for our actions. And we know this, right? We know that actions have consequences. We know this. We believe this. And we believe this to some degree. Actions do have consequences, unless, of course, we do them. Then we just believe in grace. 
But actions do have consequences. And Jesus paid our consequences for our actions when he embraced the cross. This enables that relationship that I am talking about. So we must start here to see the beauty of this section. We must understand that it is more about restoring a relationship than just avoiding consequences. We need a restoration of a relationship. We must understand what Jesus is doing in order to grasp his prayer. Look at how this verse starts. This is where I just want us, when we read this word of God, to just slow down. Just slow down, and I think we'll see a lot more. Look how this verse starts. Jesus had spoken these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father. Jesus wants his people to know God. Having completed this teaching to his disciples, Jesus turns his attention to the Father and he prays. He looks up, he looks up to heaven and he says, Father. He doesn't say, oh, holy, exalted one. Oh, mighty and strong one. Oh, one who speaks out galaxies. All of them are true. But that is not what Jesus does. What Jesus says is he leans into the relationship that he has with his Father. God is talking about God as a father. This first occurred back in John 5. We have been going through the gospel, so if you remember, John 5 was about Sabbath day rest. And Jesus claimed it was okay to perform healings on the Sabbath because in his word, my father is working now and I am also working. What Jesus was saying, that God rested on the seventh day from the work of creation, but his work of redemption still marches on. And Jesus draws this connection that as he is helping for the restoration like the Father is, he is continuing this work. And why is that important? Why does that matter? Well, because in the next verse it says, and this is why the Jews were seeking even more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Let us not for a moment Take for granted the fact that we have entered into a new covenant where we get to call God the creator, galaxy breather, Father. Let us not for a moment forget that. Jesus was looked at to be killed because he called God Father. Big deal. Big deal. And this simple act can be overlooked. Jesus isn't trying to be provocative, but he's just letting his disciples know. My father is the one who I'm talking about. He is the one who I'm talking to. He is the one that has relationship and restoration power. He is my God. He is my dad. And this is what eternal life looks like. It's what this verse says. This is what eternal life looks like. It's calling the maker of the universe father. And meaning that, what does that mean? Because I know this, listen, please, hear me. Bad relationship with my father, growing up. Didn't know my biological one, the other one passed away here recently, but he left when I was 12. Went down to Florida, we restored our relationship there towards the end. But I don't have the most peachiest, clean viewpoint of fathers. So I know it can get messed up in our heads. Like, who cares if God's a father? What, he's not going to show up for me? It's not what I'm talking about. 
talking about the ideal that you can think, the deep relational connection with our dad who cares for us, who leans in, provides for us, wraps his arm around us and doesn't let us go. That is what I am talking about. So please, I know hurt and pain, and I know people in this room have experienced the same, but please put that on the shelf and do not get that messed up with what I'm talking about when God is called Father. A deep relational connection with him. In the midst of this unknown world, insanity in politics, craziness in relationships, and hurts that come with diseases like cancers and difficulties, know that we have a constant source of care and union and relationship. That you can go to him with your needs and your concerns and your desires. Let's not skip over this point when we read the word of God. Let us not rush past that. If we are Jesus followers, and that's what I'm talking about here. Because if you do not follow Jesus Christ and you do not believe that he is the Lord, I am not talking to you about this type of relationship. Because we are adopted into God's family if we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are adopted into that family. 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walks. So if we have that relationship, we have to walk like Christ. I am talking to the Christians in this room. So as Christians, we must walk like Jesus walked, forgive like Jesus forgave, care like Jesus cared, come close to those who Jesus would come close to, be bold like Jesus was bold, and pray like Jesus prayed. That's why I couldn't just come up here and fake it and just stand behind this pulpit and hopefully excite you guys with a few words in 30 minutes. I could care less about that. We are talking about a holy and just God here. We're talking about a God who said, I love you so much that I would provide a pathway, even if it costs my own son's life, in order to keep my word that those who sin shall die. And do what? Come up here like a hypocrite? Why? Why? That gets me nowhere. It gets me nothing. Better than my ego is the cross of Christ. That is what I will constantly be pointing to. We must walk like Jesus walks. Because we are portable temples now. Once again, talking to the Christians in this room. That we are portable temple now. And the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. So if anyone is far from God, but close to us... They're close to God. This Sunday is a wonderful day to start our week, to worship our God. But we have a job to do. Love God, love people, teach others to do the same. I don't care where you're at, what you do. I don't care if you work at the gas station or in government. You have that task. Love God, love people, teach others to do the same. You can do that everywhere. If you think that you are only Christian because we come this one time on Sunday and then nothing else looks like that, that is not it. 
The beautiful thing is that Jesus put his spirit inside of us in order to be salt and light to a dying world around us. Do not wait for us to have a sign-up sheet so you can serve on a Saturday. And I'm thankful for you guys. Know that. I love you. Jesus continues his prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that my, the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all those you have given him. So Jesus embraces the cross. That enables a relationship. Jesus prays. And he says his hour is finally here. All throughout the Gospel of John. Hour not yet. Hour's not yet. Hour's not yet. Hour's not yet. Hour's not yet. The hour has finally come. It's mere hours before he is facing the cross. He is going to die for his creation. Jesus is finishing the mission of what he had come to do. So Christianity is not about moralism, but it's about God becoming mortal, dying, rising, and being glorified. This is what it's about. The hour has finally come. This is why the hour has come. The time is here. The mission is about ready to be completed. Jesus, at the end of his teaching of his disciples, is talking about the Holy Spirit, being united to him, being one with him, and being the fruit of the vine. So the Son will glorify the Father in perfect obedience. And Jesus begins the simple request this way, glorify me. And Jesus has every right to ask God to glorify him because Jesus is God. The cross will display, so we will see it, and it will satisfy. And it will satisfy the wrath of God. Why? Because, man. Just let me slow down. I could burn through this stuff. I don't want to. I want you to hear this and actually hear it and let it take root. Because this is why I was scared to preach today. Sinning yesterday. God will satisfy his wrath. That means nothing goes unpunished. You know that? The sins that have been committed against you, that you have felt, that you've experienced. The sins that you have committed. They don't go unpunished. I can't stress that truth enough. So why is the cross good news? Know that justice will be served for every wrong that has been committed. All the wrongs will be made right. And we can have trust in that because Jesus wanted to glorify his father by paying the cost of sin through his death. Jesus prays for the father to glorify him so that in turn he can glorify the father. But how? How, how does this happen? How does, how does Jesus, right? How does Jesus' death glorify God? The cross glorifies the father because the cross means God keeps his word. That's got to be good news for us. Not that just a man was slaughtered on a tree, but God keeps his word. You know what that means? That in Romans where it says, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. 
You know when it says that, that we can stand firm that that is true, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you believe Jesus is your Savior, raise your hand right now. Then listen to me. There is therefore now no condemnation for you. God keeps his words. Later in Romans 8, it says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Those same people who raised their hand, you are more than conquerors. And know this, for I am sure neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is for you. Do you trust in him? We can rest in the promises of God because God kept all his promises. Even in the beginning when he says, sin will lead to death. We may hate that. We may not like that. But he said, sin will lead to death. You choose. And we did. This should be the thing that we hang on here as Christians. That he will punish sin through either his son or us. That's the reality. The transgressions we com commit will be paid for because God is holy and just. So he will either pay for them on the back of his son on the cross. Or we will pay for them ourselves. That's it. That's the beautiful thing that when you're dealing with difficulties and trials, when it says that he uses everything for good for those who love him, when he says something like that, it's like, Lord, how can this be? How can this even be good? But I, can, I might not know it with my knower, but I trust you that you're going to use this for good. When he says in Revelation 21 that he's going to wipe away every tear. And sin and death will be no more. We can hold on to that because of the cross. And this is the reality. That if God says sin will lead to death, it does. His words are trustworthy. This should lead us to joy, not complaints. If every time I told my daughters that there are consequences for their actions, but never showed them any consequences for their actions, would you say I am a good parent? That's just an easy one, right? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't say I was a good parent. If I never disciplined or corrected my children, even though I said over and over and over again, don't do this or do this or don't do that, does that mean I'm trustworthy? No, I'm not trustworthy if I don't keep my word. And these are just human terms that we can agree on. can agree in those situations. If you're not a person of your word, your words can't be trusted, you can't be reliable. So if anything, the cross should point to that God the Father is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. Humans are often tempted to bend the rules when they become inconvenient. But God, however, shows us that he will not bend the rules, change the boundaries, or redefine the terms. God is committed to his word 
that he doesn't spare his own son. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What a glorious word that is. This shows us the gravity of our sins. But this shows us also that God is a just ruler. Not only that it shows us that he's a just ruler, but he's also full of mercy and grace. It shows us that he keeps his word, but he also provides a pathway for you, even though you cannot pay it. So, this shows that God is going to keep his word through the word. And that's what he does. God the Father keeps his word through the word, and the word is Jesus Christ. Jesus embraces the cross. He embraces his mission. He embraces his task that has been set for, uh, set up in front of him. And it says, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. Realistically, take a moment to think about that statement. Jesus of Nazareth has authority over all flesh. Authority means the liberty to do as one pleases. So Jesus, in this statement, can do whatever he wants with all mankind. The text says he has authority over all flesh. Not some flesh, all flesh. Jesus is king over all. That's what the text is saying. So how does the king of the universe, with this immense power and privilege, what does he do with his authority over all flesh? He chooses to have his own flesh torn to ribbons to pay for his creation. Our failures, our shortcomings. Our faults. You've heard this term, I know you have, that writing a check that your butt can't cash, right? That's the reality. But this is all of us. We can't pay back the check that we have written with our mouths, deeds, and actions. But with Jesus having authority over all flesh, he pays back that check at the cross. He pays with his own flesh for yours. And this is what enables that relationship. We can have this misunderstanding that eternal life is just us sitting around, playing a harp, floating on clouds. It's not what it is. We're not some chubby baby bodies with wings. It's a relationship. Right here and right now. Verse 3 says, this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing someone, not about someone, but knowing someone. And this is amazing. The intimate knowledge that a relationship is just between two parties. So you have this relationship, the marriage uh, verbiage that you see throughout the Bible. It's the same verbiage that we see here. Eternal life isn't about just doing the right things. It's about being in the right relationship with the creator. And the gift of eternal life depends on the cross, resurrection, glorification of Jesus. And like, just as a, a, a realistic thing that you can even write down to help you grasp this, is, is know Jesus and you will know peace, right? With your head. If you know him, Jesus, you'll know peace. But if you do not have Jesus, so know Jesus, 
no peace. You won't have that type of peace. Please know that it comes through an actual relationship. Where there is no cross work, no resurrection, there is no glorification. Sin cannot be forgiven and our works cannot cover it. This is the freedom that has given us access to the Father. And we become heirs to the promises. We are united to the family of God. When we are in relationship with God, then we have access to the speakers of the galaxies, the hopes of those promises that I said before. We have hope in a hopeless world, and we have a comforter, we have a counselor, and we are more than conquerors. Our relationship gives us a firm foundation to carry out the mission that he has given us. So just like Jesus, when Jesus embraces the cross, it enables a relationship. We must embrace the cross as it enables our relationship. In Matthew 16, 24, it says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him do what? Deny himself and take up this cross and follow me. Whoever did not save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? That. That. The world will tell us many things, and many things are going to lead to happiness. And the world is just like this golden corral. You walk in, you put a whole bunch of junk on the plate, you think you're going to eat healthy because you have no limits, you can just go and eat. You load up your plates with options, but it's not healthy, it's not beneficial, it's not a good deal just because you can get unlimited plates of food. This is what the world says true freedom is. Load up, get whatever, and you'll be great. But Jesus knows us, he created us, he offers bread of life, he offers us living water. And we must know that this is what's best for us. Not freedom at a buffet. So when we carry our cross and we deny ourselves, he gives us his spirit. And that Holy Spirit will be in us and help guide us through this life. So our jobs as believers is the great commandment and the great commission. Love God, love people, teach others to do the same. The classroom for discipleship is our lives. And they are now in service to the King of Kings. He is our God. We are his temple. Wherever darkness is, there should be, there we should be to stand and let our light shine. And we should be the salt of the world. We should be the preservative, adding flavor. Discipleship isn't for the religious elite. It's not for me because I'm standing on an elevated platform 18 inches above me. You all have a purpose. You all have a meaning. And the world will tell you lies. And the world will feed you exactly what you want. But Jesus will always give us what we need. And even today, if you do not trust in Christ as your Savior, I don't think anybody's here by accident. But trusting in the Lord, trusting in his works, and saying, God, I know I can't do it. But you can. 
That hope and that trust can happen right now. There's not no magic formula that you have to fill out this card. It's confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is king. I want to pray for us. And then we'll take communion. Um, yeah. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for these men and women here. Thank you for redemption and restoration and hope. I pray that your word will just penetrate hearts. That, Father, we would trust in you. And if we trust in you, we would join in communion together. That we would have repentant hearts, that we would have hearts that turn towards you. Father, forgive me for the sins that I have committed. I pray that we would all walk forgiven, as forgiven people full of hope, full of joy, full of peace, because you are the God, King, Comforter, Counselor. You are the only one that has hope in this world. Father, we need you. We love you. We're thankful for you. Bless our week, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.